0: by confidence because we don't know how we do what we do yeah and um and i think that's part of what tyson is going through is and we'll get to i think you're going to mm-hmm. ask about that but that's one of the things that he does is he's trying so hard to find that muse which is the whole reason they call it a muse with writers right mm-hmm. because it's not really us doing it it's something else talking to us and us sort of just like writing what we're seeing or what we're hearing but that's also one of the things that makes it so difficult to be a writer you can't it's hard to talk to how you do things, you know, which is the, you know, the quite whenever, you know, the question of how do you get your ideas is one thing, but the question of how do you write the prose you write is something completely different because I think it's just your voice that, and there's like the little, little dude in a cave in your head who comes, who, you know, who comes out in the, you know, in the robe and the white hair and, you know, and, and you know sits cross-legged on the edge of the cliff overlooking your mind and just start screaming into the void. And I'm just there typing it out.
1: JCB Art Studio. This is my season four. And for those who've been tuning in to the end of season three, I've been having this countdown. And today is episode 100. Yeah. Yeah. I am getting my cake. I said in the end of season three, I'm getting a cake. I'm getting my cake. Yes. So today, First, like, like I said, I'm getting excited here. First, thank you to Creative Edge Publicity for their assistance and making this podcast happen. Okay, I, I'm I'm trying to get back to being professional again. Uh for those people who are first tuning in um, with season four, I am the author of The Unraveling and Dealer's Child. And in 2023, Spy Girls will be coming out. Now, now let's let's get to the really good stuff here. So today, I have Philip Fracassi. Philip is the author of the award-winning story collection, Behold the Void, which won Best Collection of the Year from This is Horror and Strange Ions magazine. His newest collection, Beneath a Pale Sky, was published in 2021 by Leith, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Leith Press. It received a starred review from Library Journal and was named best collection of the year by Rue Morgue Magazine. It was nominated for a Bram Stoker Award. His novels include A Child Alone with Strangers, so yeah, A Child Alone with Strangers, Gothic, and Boys in the Valley. Philip's books have been translated into multiple languages, and his stories have been published in numerous magazines and anthologies, including Best Horror of the Year, Nightmare Magazine, Black Static, Dark Discoveries, and Cemetery Dance. The New York Times calls his work terrifically scary, and uh, yeah, it is okay and uh, as a screenwriter his feature films have been distributed by Disney Entertainment and Lifetime Television. He currently has several stories under option for film and TV adaptation. Adaptation. Philip lives in Los Angeles. Philip, welcome. Thank you for being my episode 100.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me. That's I that's amazing. 100 episodes is no is no joke. You should definitely be getting your cake <laughs> and, and wine, <laughs> right. and, and, and wine. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm, yeah. Very, uh, I'm very honored to be your your one hundredth episode guest. It's great.
1: Well, first, like I say, uh, you know, you are my first horror writer, and I remember when um, Creative Edge approached me. And I have never—I shouldn't say I've never—I've read a few Stephen King. Okay, a mm-hmm. few. Um, I write thrillers. I read thrillers. Your book was such a joy and scary to read. I know you probably don't want to hear joy, but it just—no,
0: that's great. Which, wish, which book are you? Which book did you read? I'm sorry.
1: Gothic. It's Gothic. Oh, gothic.
0: Okay.
1: I'm yeah. reading I've, it, and I'm just. A, it was the humor, and you're just okay, we're gonna talk about it. It, it just I've yeah. I'm really enjoying it. And I want to con- say congratulations. You know, you're an author, a screenwriter, you're you know, feature films. And I never knew, so getting into this, that there was a uh classification of soft horror. So that's kind of like a, a genre
0: of the whole. Horror. uh, wait, I don't, I'm not sure what soft horror is. I haven't heard that one before. Okay. I think, I think what, I think maybe is, is maybe is like more of like a mainstream horror. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I do. Um, I do try and write for, I shouldn't say I try to write. I think whatever, I think my style as it were, um, is more of a mainstream style and and I, I don't want that to sound negative toward any other writers I guess my stuff is more um it's sort of uh, it sort of rides that line I think between horror and sort of thrillers and I hate to use the word literary but yeah. you know I I do focus probably more than some horror writers on trying to create um, beautiful, Pros and yeah. I, all this sounds insulting to anyone who's listening to it, who's a horror writer. But um you know, there's there's extremes, right? There's yeah. there's there's extreme horror writers. But even the extreme horror writers find are beginning to find really major audiences. There's a there's a, there's a gentleman named Eric Laraca, what I would classify as extreme horror. It's very it's like body horror. It's very graphic. But he's he's had amazing success. You know, and you never really know, right? Like Mr. Um, James came out of nowhere whatever it was two decades ago with that 50 shades thing and who would have ever thought that it would become like a global bestseller right yeah. so i don't think you ever really know what's going to hit or not hit but um but i do think my stuff tends to be a bit more along the lines of of some writers that have sort of crossed over into other uh, groups of readership you know readers who may not necessarily seek out horror but like you said maybe find it and um and get along with it you know they hold hands uh but uh or they think sometimes you read something and it's like whoa no that's you know that might be too much for me or or whatever so um yeah but i i i i do want my books to reach as wide an audience as possible but i don't really it's less that it, it's less that i try to write that way it's more of that's just kind of the stuff i enjoy writing yeah well
1: <laughs> you know you've got the scenes i'm just Thinking of the scene with this desk. A, I'm glad I have my writing desk is only a little um, Ikea writing desk. Okay. No, that doesn't
0: matter. That doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. It doesn't matter. You never know. And, I think you'd reach out any moment.
1: Yeah. And just, I'm thinking there's a scene when, so our listeners understand there's this desk. Okay. Stuff happens bad stuff happens with this desk and i remember when i was reading about their the crate has the desk and it's being lowered and the poorest worker who gets caught underneath okay and i'm like Mm -hmm. right okay so i'm just going to read a few a couple of reviews here yeah Uh, uh, the first one is not since the shining has the descent of a writer into madness Being so masterfully rendered on the page. And that was from Ross Jeffrey. He's a Bram Stoker nominated author of Tomb. Another review was Fracassi takes the familiar traps, love, obsession, power, and gives them new teeth. It's dark, fun, twisted tightly around a story of human frailty. (laughs) And this is it. He's doing for the desk. What King did for the car, and that's Jeff Terry, the Jeff word. And yeah, yeah. Okay. So the first thing that jumped out at me was your protagonist. He is 59 years old. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm working on a like a my parallel universe fiction novel. I'm thinking the heroine at one point is going to be 50. Now, this may sound like a kind of basic question, but do you feel that most prose out there is being written with younger protagonists because that's what sells? Um, You know, and even in the book, you know, Tyson's agent, Harry, tells Tyson, who's our protagonist, right? He needs to get with the times with this novel. So what what do you think? Do you think we there's more fiction with a
0: younger age group um i don't necessarily think that i it's a good question i feel like with you know you know for me it it comes down to what whatever serves the story and and for this story tyson needed to be a, a matured adult because he has because the whole rationale behind the story behind his character is that he's a writer who had a heyday yeah. and now he's sort of trying to recapture that heyday and i think so therefore he had to have sort of like you know phases of a career so therefore he had to be a little bit on the older side but um but you know but there's other stories i, I wrote um i for example i wrote another book that that's not has not been published or sold but it, it's being sh- shopped around but it's called the it's called a blue butterfly the bl- blue butterfly and it's a mystery thriller yeah. and and I and I planned that book and I sent this to my age, and I said, This is the first in my in my mind, this is the first book in a trilogy. And the characters in that book are in their twenties. And in the second book, the characters would be in their 40s. And the third book, the characters would be in their 60s. So because because those are the ages for each of those individual stories, those are the ages that they need to be for the story to work. So mm-hmm. for me, it's really about what serves the story. Um, I have a lot of stories that take place, um, where the where the main characters are like you know, kids, where they're like you know, sort of like Stephen King likes to play with the, you know, the kid fear trope, you know, in his books like it. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I do like the idea. Uh, the thing that's great about writing kids into horror stories is they experience horror in a different way than an adult would experience horror for the most part. They you know, it, it's everything is a new experience to them. You know, they have this kind of innocence. They had this sort of like wide open, uh, you know, anything is possible mentality, and so when things like really terrifying happen to them, they kind of react differently than an adult would. So I find it really fascinating to kind of um, use those, you know, use that sort of like kid and peril trope. But, yeah. um, but no, I don't think so. I, I and I read pretty widely, and I, I think writers write what they know. Yeah. I think um, I think a lot of writers you'll even see. When they're younger, they write about younger characters, and when they get older, they write about older characters. And um but I don't really see it leaning one way or another. I, I I just think that people probably write to whatever serves the story best, and also they kind of write what what they know.
1: Yeah. Well, gosh. You know, poor Tyson. I mean, I am. Yeah.
0: So like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that said, oh. there is a there is an element of ageism in in gothic, which is which is pronounced because. Oh he's definitely, he's definitely battling that like, Oh man, you're, you know, you're, you're past the, you're past mm-hmm. the times or the, or, you know, I think the, the, the agent has a monologue and I'm going somewhat by memory, but he says his monologue at where at one point he kind of says, if you don't, yeah. you know, catch up to the times, you know, you're going to get squashed, you know, yeah. and, um and you're going to be run over. And, um and it's kind of a frightening moment for Tyson. You know, he, It's you know he's scared. Ultimately, he's scared. He's trying very hard to regain the success that he had a couple decades ago. Not just because he wants to be famous again, but because he's broke. He needs the money. He's got he's got pressure. He's got an advance that he has to come through on this new book with. Um, He's got this young daughter who's you know he kind of sees as you know, the future and him, you know, it's kind of, it's hard for him not to see himself as sort of the past. And so he's kind of struggling with all this stuff. So I think when the desk appears uh, in -hmm. his life, Mm -hmm. it's such a monumental uh, opportunity. And I think what his struggles through the rest of the book, which is basically weighing, you know, uh, proceeding down one path that he knows is wrong and he knows is evil. But it's also the road that he's been fighting so hard and he's been so terrified of not being able to follow that it it, it becomes a real, you know, it becomes a real moral dilemma for him, um, which is which is a big part of the struggle that he goes through, at least through the second act of the book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And this desk. So people understand what didn't start out as a desk. It has history. Like yeah. it was, it was an altar at one point, like part of, right?
0: A sacrificial altar. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> okay. So yeah. we're, so we're going to start. And then, with- yeah, and there's, yeah, oh. I like to just tell people to make it simple that it's a haunted desk, yeah. um, uh, but it's haunted in a way that you probably don't foresee, yeah. uh, you know, just given that general description, but yeah, and there's, there's elements of possession There's elements of haunting, but ultimately I don't really see it as a possession story because Tyson knows what he's doing. Um, He's not being controlled. Yeah. He's, he's controlling his own destiny. It's just, it, it comes down to his desire is, and, uh, and he has to make some hard choices and he, and, you know, and he makes them. Yeah.
1: Well, and you start off the book, um, you know, like with the first paragraph, it actually, you made me laugh. The very first paragraph uh you know your character Diana Montresor Mm -hmm. I'm I'm looking at all these uh, like Canadian so I'm thinking okay Montresor that may be a French name okay
0: well I think she's French but I think the name is Italian because of her her ancestry that you read about yeah yeah so I do yoga um
1: and that first paragraph you know you say she's sitting at her laptop in her sweaty workout clothes from her private yoga session. <laughs> I've never done this, but as soon as the instructor leaves, she pulls out a frosted bottle of vodka. <laughs> that cracked me up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um I've never done that. That that's that's that 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 made me laugh, you know. Um and it, I wasn't expecting that. Okay. So yeah. I I guess that's my I don't know whether you'd call it stereotype i was st- whether i was stereotyping this book but it it that was such a pleasant surprise to laugh just right yeah. off from the first paragraph okay so can you tell uh, well i know but tell our listeners about diana tyson parks and give us a, a, a bit of a summary about gothic
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. So what's interesting about that scene is the two, twofold. One is it kind of introduces right away that this book is going to have a little bit of levity. Um, And it, and it does, you know, unlike a lot of horror novels in my, at least in my mind, when I was writing it, I feel like this book has some pretty funny moments. It definitely has a lot of dark humor. And I think if you read it straight or if you don't get the humor, yeah. I don't think it will be, I don't think it'll be as an enjoyable of a read as if you were reading it straight, but, and not really connecting with the, with this somewhere sort of some of the over the top humor elements. And, um, cause I think that's what makes it, I mean, the whole, this book, you said joy at the beginning of this yeah. interview. And that's exactly what I want people to like, get when reading this book. I want this to be a fun, entertaining, laugh out loud, but also like, you know, can I swear on this podcast? <laughs> oh, <or> no, <laughs> yes. Holy, holy. You know, crap. Like yeah. th- that's a very. This is terrifying. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I, I want it to be. Then that's fun too, right? It's like a haunted house. So I want it to be that kind of. I really wanted this to be a very, and uh, this uh, as a piece of entertainment. You know, this isn't mm-hmm. something that you should read and then you feel like depressed for days. Like some yeah. sometimes you read something dark and you're just like, wow, that was really heavy, or mm-hmm. that was kind of intense, and I'm kind of feeling like this is supposed to just be like a ride. Mm-hmm. And um, and and the other thing about that scene in particular. and I'll, I'll elaborate on those things. But is um it, it immediately um gives you a, a, a window into Diana's character, right? Yeah. she is. She is strong-willed. She does what she wants. Um, you know, she does her. But she's also like determined, right? She does her intense yoga session. A, you know, a you know, b she has a private uh, instructor, so you know she's got money. Yeah. C she's goes straight for the chilled vodka in the fridge, so you know she doesn't care about you know uh, uh, how things appear or, mm-hmm. or you know. Uh, she does what she wants to do. So, and she has a certain power about her right off the top. Right. And she's a very powerful character. You know, she's a very powerful woman and she's like, she's very determined. She's, and she's at times outright scary. Right. She's, she's threat. She's threatening because she is in, she is so eager for control. Um, uh, and also to, and she is, uh, hunting this desk and she has been hunting this desk along with her ancestors for generations and generations. So it's it's like a, it's like something that's deep rooted into her core being. So she's she's very you know she her she's very determined. Her whole life in a lot of ways has been about finding this artifact uh that has now become this desk that is in Tyson's office. And mm-hmm. Tyson we talked a little bit already, but yeah he's He's a he's a he's a horror writer who had a bunch of bestsellers in the eighties and nineties, and now he's kind of uh, trying to find that recapture that uh, uh, celebrity and success. But he doesn't really want to write the stuff that he was writing when he was in his thirties and forties. Yeah. He wants to write different stuff because he's older and he's matured and he's experienced more, and he has a wider palette of what he wants to, you know, talk about. But nobody wants to <laughs> nobody yeah. wants to hear any of that stuff. And yeah. that's, what's really, that's the, the inner conundrum with him is he's telling his agent, this is what I want to write about. This is what I am invested in. This is what it means something to me. And his agent's like, that's great. Nobody cares. Yeah. Right. You know, we want the bubble gum. We want the stuff that you were, we want the hits. And, you know, I think you could, and you could apply that to a lot of different artists. I think you could apply it to, you know, musicians or, or, you know, and, and you know, and, um, And I think, you know, you change as you as you get older, you change the things you, you know, uh, do when you're younger or not things that you necessarily want to do when you're older. And so so that's kind of what he's dealing, part of what he's dealing with. And Gothic is all about him being basically in at the crossroads of his life. And he's got a couple, you know, he he's 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 underwater financially. He has but he has a but he has a wonderful family. He's mm-hmm. got a beautiful, talented, devoted partner in, mm-hmm. in in Sarah. He's got a lovely daughter. And he kind of, it's one of those things where as a writer for me, I want, and this is, I have you know a, a wife and a, and, a, and a son who's the same, same age as Violet in the story. And I think sometimes it's sort of, a, I think this is probably the most personal part of me that carried over to the novel. Okay. Is sometimes he doesn't see what's right in front of him. Yeah. And for him, success is not, I have, I'm surrounded by love and family and people who care about me. For him, success is I need another hit. And I think that's part of the tragedy of his character is that he? it's so obvious to a reader what he should be focused on. Yeah. But for, he's so blinded to that because of um. what's happening. Sorry, my phone rang. Yeah. But of what's happening. I turned it off my phone but then my watch rings so that's <laughs> technology for you. Um, but yeah so that's what makes him such a conflicted character. So he's a lot going on. He you know yeah. he is a lot uh, he's a very deep character, he's a very conflicted character and he is given an opportunity to do what he's always wanted, to be what he's all, what he's what, what everybody's telling him he should be, which is a a huge success.
1: Yeah.
0: But what's the cost? Yeah. And 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 he has to, and it, he comes to that crossroads where he has to make that decision is what's what is important to him and uh that's that's really the that's really the core of the book and the rest of the horror and the scares and the humor is all just window dressing you know that's yeah. but i think the character his character anchors you know anchors the whole story well
1: his character is absolutely i mean you just feel for him like i'm just thinking you're talking about i'm thinking of the scene where he's in his agent's office yeah. You know, and and he and I, you you wrote it so well where, you, you know, you say his agent is like Tyson's thinking is his agent looking out the window
0: or is he looking at his shoes, you know, because yeah. they're in that his expensive shoes. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. And there's a weird moment with like he is a weird opening with him where he has that moment with the agent's secretary. Yeah. And it's kind of like I kind of walk that line of like he's sort of being creepy. But he's also sort of, but then you kind of realize, at least you're, the hope is, that he's also, but then you're also just kind of realizing he's not, he's not, uh, you know, he's looking at this younger woman, and he's kind of like talking about her body, but he's not doing it in a way like he, you think maybe it's sexual, but actually what he's doing is, is he's seeing her youth, he's yeah. envying her vitality, he's envying her her strength. Yeah. And I, And then when, she's, you know, when she serves him the cold coffee and he just like takes it because he's He's such a pathetic, weak character, yeah. um, which I think has made a lot of you know early reviewers kind of annoyed. But but he—that's who he is, and it, yeah. you know, and sometimes sometimes characters are people, you know, and that's and not every person is somebody that you're going to necessarily like. You See, know? and
1: and I didn't think of him as creepy, right? I just thought of Good. him as you know as a I, I I thought it was realistic, and I just after he he drops his manuscript because he's trying to pick up all these pages. And I just, I found he was getting so flustered because this yeah. younger assistant wants to help him. And he's just probably thinking, just go right. Let me just get my stuff. Right. Cause yeah. he's, he's, I think I thought of as anxious because he has to go in and talk with his agent and he hasn't produced.
0: Right. what, And he knows, was. he knows it's going to be a bad meeting. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Knows. Yes. Yeah.
1: So, what was the inspiration for the desk?
0: Um, honestly, I think it was probably my desk. I <laughs> I, I have a desk. You can't see it. Or you can't see. It. I know we're audio, but uh, yeah. you and I are video. But yes, uh, I have this. I've had the same desk, the same writing desk since I was twenty. I want to say twenty five years old. Okay. And I'm twice that age. Okay. So I've had this desk for a long time. So, and I've written every word I've ever written has been basically written on this desk. I mean, oh, no. other outside of, you know, maybe the occasional business trip or whatever where I'm doing some writing on the road. But for the most part, I write that. And I think when I first wrote this story, when I first conceived of this story, I had, I, I, I read a lot of Stephen King. Yeah. And I also watch a lot of, I, I was a, I'm a big fan of Sam Raimi movies. And okay. Sam Raimi, for those who might not know, did movies like The Evil Dead. Um, he did a movie called Drag Me to Hell. Uh, he also did a lot of like very popular movies like Spider-Man one, two and three, the, okay. the you know ones with Tobey Maguire. So he's, he's a big Hollywood, he just did the new doctor strange movie for Marvel. So he's a big yeah. director, but his background is for, but he's a big, I'm a big fan of his filmmaking. And I think one day I was like just working through ideas. I, I knew I had to come up with a new idea and I just liked the idea. And I think I might've even been a little on the frustrated side.
1: Yeah.
0: And I, I, I think during, at this time, when I'm dead, I'm describing, I was about to go pitch a studio mm-hmm. and I had to pitch them. They wanted to hear a bunch of I- ideas um, and then to see if anything stuck. Nothing. By the way, nothing stuck. It was a terrible meeting. But oh. um, but I think, OK, I think it happens. But I think, um, but I think uh, at that time, I was kind of like thinking about I was kind of connecting a lot of things in my mind. One mm-hmm. is for, for readers who may have read a lot of Stephen King stories or books. And you alluded, alluded to this in the review from Jeff Terry. Uh, he does for the desk what Stephen King did for the car. Stephen King has a kind of an um, – he has a, a history of writing about haunted objects. Yeah. Um, Christine, the haunted car, is is one of them. He wrote a short story called The Mangler, which was like a, a dry laundry press. became How about the dog? Was that Cujo? Was Cujo? Cujo. Yeah. yeah. So he has this kind of weird thing about just like, like uh, putting personality and – and evil into these kind of like objects and um and so i kind of and i was kind of thinking about it and i was like you know i wonder what would happen if my desk was possessed and i think i think i think the first i think i think the acorn of the idea came with the idea of a writer finding a secret compartment in a desk and finding like an old manuscript that wasn't his and that was kind of how the story started and i think that kind of just morphed into mm-hmm. a more supernatural realm for me. So that was kind of how, that was sort of the impetus of of the core idea. And then it just kind of developed and developed. And it's, it, it, you know, this book, this book has had a few different lives. It's, um I originally wrote it as a screenplay.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, which And it was very different than what's in the novel. Not very different, but I would say, you know, different. About right. 25% of it's different. And then I wrote it as a novella. Okay. And I sent it to my agent, uh, as part of a, a collection of stories that I was going to publish, and this was sort of the featured novella, and it wasn't—it was like a. When I say novella, I mean it was like a forty-five thousand word okay. novella, so it was basically a small novel, short novel. Yeah. And she was like, "This is an amazing yeah. story. It's great. You need to expand it into a novel." And so that's and so that's what I I kind of rewrote the whole thing um from scratch. And um and that's 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 the that's the life you know line of this of this story. But I think that I think. It really breathes breathes well as a novel, and I think it would be a great movie if um, if the novel ever were to be adapted. But I think it's uh, I think it'd be really fun. Like if it were ever be a movie, the reason I brought up Sam Raimi is because I could see it being like a Sam Raimi style movie. Which and Sam's movies have a lot of dark humor. They're really wild. They're fun. They're kind of crazy, but they're really dark and scary too. So um, that's kind of how I see the tone of this of this book.
1: I hope it's made
0: into a movie. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So now, yeah, I want like um, I had the PDF version. Mm-hmm. So you have sold out of the edition that's being released now. Tell me, correct me here. That's being released November 2022. Because I want to get like a physical book. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You can get a physical. Yeah. So what I what I did with this book is I have I work with a publisher called Earthling uh, mm-hmm. Publications. They're a wonderful publisher. They've been around for almost thirty years, and they publish everybody from Clive Barker to you know they they all the huge names. And and what they do is they specialize in limited editions. So they will do a um, a short run uh, of like two hundred. And fifty or five hundred or seven hundred and fifty books, and they basically sell those books to collectors. Mm-hmm. And they're very fancy. They're very nice. They're illustrated. They have my sign them all. They're all numbered. <clears throat> but then what happens is once that book comes out, um, I can then sell the same book to a trade publisher. So basically, for for public, you know, for anyone who wants to buy it. So that's <clears throat> like whether it be on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or whatever. So so I sold this book to Earthling first. Yeah. And he did an he did a run of 250 copies yeah. and it sold out in i believe 18 minutes. Oh, so it was wow. go, it was gone the second it hit the ground. And so that's but that's being released in November but it's way sold out. Yeah. But in February, February 3rd of next year, there will be a, a trade hardcover, paperback, ebook and audiobook. Okay. Um that will be widely available for anyone who wants one worldwide so and that's coming out from cemetery dance and then i have an audio partner who's doing the audio but cemetery dance is doing and cemetery dance if people are not familiar with them they publish a lot of stephen king books they published a lot of richard chismar books so uh robert McCammon, all the big horror names but they're definitely a horror publisher so they're publishing the book in february so you'll be able to buy you can actually pre-order Right now, if you go to my website or cemetery dance website, you can pre-order a hardcover or a paperback um of the book. So it'll be it'll be widely available.
1: Cool. Good. Good. Okay. So we've talked about the humor and we've kind of talked about the humble I call it the humbleness of Tyson Parks. Okay. Mm-hmm. And like I said, when he's in that office, his agent's office, delivering his manuscript. So um <laughs> I, too, have glasses, and the prescription is right, but I do have a loose hinge.
0: Yeah, and me that's, too.
1: <laughs> that scene, um, you know, when he's trying to pitch his revamped book, it's painful to read in that it's so personal to any writer. Like, you just, yeah. God, you nailed that.
0: You nailed it. Yeah. Right? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, that's, I mean, look, the book, the book is a love letter to horror writers. You know, there's um, a lot of references. There's a lot of like very, it's Easter eggs in this book for, for folks who are big horror writers that they would get, you know, and they don't need to get them to, you know, like to enjoy the book, but there's a lot of little Easter eggs, where I Reference, a lot of writers, some, some of them more obscure than, than most, most readers might know, but yeah, yeah he's a, he's, yeah, he's, a he's, he's very realistic. I mean, he's a very real person and, And I think it's frustrated some early reviewers. I mean, most of the reviews have been glowing, and God, thank God. But I think that a lot of the negative, some some of the negative reviews I've gotten are very focused on his character. People are getting, I think, you know, they seem very irritated by him. And a lot of the comments in the review, a lot of the comments I get in the reviews are, "This guy is so pathetic and unlikable." And I'm like, in my mind, I don't, I don't care about those because in my mind, I'm like, he's he's human. He's a He's real like this you know and um and yes he's self-pitying but that's what like that's human nature yeah. and he's he's have you know he's in a rough spot and yeah. at no point I don't think you're I don't think at any point in this book you're actually supposed to be cheering for Tyson um as a as a reader I think that frustrates some people but I think you do empathize with him and I think yeah. you kind of like wish he it's like he's that kind of frustrating character like you wish he would do something you wish he would just be a little bit stronger or you wish he would just be a little more focused or you wish he you know but um but he's not he's very real and i think that scene you're describing when he's when he's trying to he's trying to fight his agent into Mm -hmm. into you know publishing the book that he wants to publish and he's losing and and in, in addition to losing he's sort of like his glasses aren't are falling apart his manuscript is dropping out of his lap he's dressed shabbily and he's just he, he's just the you know he's just this poor guy yeah. who's kind of lost a grip on things yeah. and um and it just it just really that first scene with the agent really creates that power yeah. um struggle right yeah. like who like harry the agent is standing you know in the in the nice suit and the nice shoes and he's looking out the window at the cityscape his giant corner office and and uh and you know tyson's this sort of pathetic soul and Mm. as the book proceeds obviously the the power struggle you know there's a there's a there's a shift but um but yeah so i i definitely tried to create a character you know who i thought who i thought was very realistic to what a writer going through what he's going through yeah. would be experiencing and i and i thank you that you i'm glad you said that you know that you appreciated it and you connected with it because <laughs> that's exactly what i was going for you know yeah and i think anybody who's a writer and even not anyone who's anyone who is in a position where their you know th- you know their vision is not what you know people want or or where what they do for a living isn't appreciated yeah um i think we'll we'll empathize with this guy because he's he's trying to do what he believes in and he's being told nobody wants to see it and it's yeah. very and and for a guy who's made his li- and he's got these you know like he says in that meeting he's like you know i've written new york times bestsellers you know this you can't treat me this way kind of thing and the and the agent's like that was that was a different life, man. Yeah. like that was that time has passed. and yeah. what have you done for me lately? Yeah. and that's a tariff it's terrifying, right because it's it's a very scary thing for somebody to hear um and so that's that's the core of of that scene
1: and then he's told one month eighty thousand words, yeah
0: <laughs> <Right>? yeah <laughs> you yeah. know and yeah because just... he's got he's the, he's the yeah the the book he's supposed to have written has been paid paid for yeah. so um and as a writer i'm you know i'm i wasn't in this situation when i wrote this book but i'm in that situation now yeah. and i wish i almost wish i'd had this experience because but i think i kind of got it nailed anyway because it is terrifying to have a book sold that you haven't written yet and yeah. i'm you know I'm, I'm experiencing that in real life right now and it's there's a lot of anxiety tied to it because normally when you write a novel novels take a long time to write and wow. you kind of feel like oh i'm just going to kind of write this book and hopefully I finish it. I'll like it. And hopefully I'll, my agent will like it. And then hopefully my agent can sell it. And you have all these kind of like maybes and as you know, when it comes to it. So when you pre-sell a, you know, a novel, it's kind of like, well, there is no maybes. This has yeah. to be great.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: And it has to be done fast. Yeah. So yeah. it's a, it, it, it's, it's a different, it's a completely different experience. So, um, so that's kind of what he's, he's going through. It's, it's, yeah, you know, that anxiety is part just another part of what's on his shoulders.
1: Yeah. I, I Yeah. geez, I just think of all the times I've taken my glasses to my husband and said, can you please glue this hinge?
0: <laughs> just, yeah. I can't I got, it. I've got the little kit with the little <laughs> tiny screwdrivers so I can kind of fix my own glasses, but yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. So uh, I've mentioned uh, how I've read a, a few Stephen King novels
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I would really enjoy you know we're talking about glasses this this paragraph you have lots like you said you have lots of easter eggs so if i can read this paragraph that you've you've written here it, you know it shows tyson okay tyson stares back at his longtime agent his supposed friend with the look of a scolded dog his glasses are tilted the tape enforcement wilting making harry appear fragmented as if Tyson were seeing him in multiple di- dimensions of reality. The trick of a mirror facing a mirror. The visual representation of the belittling of self. <sighs> that's, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty damn good pair. Like, that's so cool. So was that... Tell me, did you work on that paragraph or was that a, I, you wake up at 2 a.m. and you stumble for the paper and the pencil and scribble that down or.
0: um Well, it definitely gets you in his yeah. mindset, right? It definitely shows you what he's in. And, and, and I, th- that paragraph is, a, you know, for Tyson, it's this come to Jesus moment. He's he, yeah. the fragmentation of his future. You know, he's yeah. seeing all of a sudden, he, all of a sudden. He's sitting there and he's realizing that the, his future is not what he had always hoped it would be or what he'd always thought it would be and now he's kind of seeing for the first time this realization of like i'm in trouble you mm-hmm. know this this is not going well and uh, and i might be in big trouble here and it's a, and, and but as far as the pros is concerned you know the thing with pros um, is <laughs> at least for me And this is kind of one of the things about writing that is so terrifying Yeah, is you read that paragraph back to me. And if I'm being completely transparent, I have no memory of writing that paragraph. (laughs) I have, I do not typically wake up in the middle of the night and write down prose. I do wake up in the middle of the night and write down ideas um, that I do not want to forget. They're normally in the, in the light of day, they're usually terrible ideas, but in the middle of the night, they seem like genius ideas. But, um, but as far as the prose is concerned, you know, it's one of the things that's really scary about writers, about being a writer, at least for me. I don't I can't speak for every writer, but um, a lot of times I'll reread a book that I wrote or a portion or a story or I'll have somebody read back to me like you just did something. Mm-hmm. And I have no and I'll be like, "Whoa, that's actually pretty good. I have mm-hmm. no memory of writing it. Mm-hmm. And um, and and what I'm getting to is that I think writing is such a subconscious act. Yeah. And you, you are, it's almost a trance-like state when you're really in the writing groove and any writer, like you're doing, will nod their head to this because it's really something you don't really, it's not a technical skill. I mean, it is, but yeah. as far as the the flow of writing is concerned, the storytelling is concerned, you know, it's really a stream of consciousness. It's really a, just a flow from your, from your subconscious. And I think that's one of the things that makes writers so um, scared all the time yeah is because unlike a painter or a mu- musician or a craftsman or a carpenter or or whatever, um you, we don't really I mean, we don't really know exactly how we do what we do. We, so we, and it's yeah. it's really just it's this inherent sort of talent and you just it just sort of spills it either spills out of you or or it doesn't. And there are some writers who I think are more technicians who write with a you know a different don't necessarily write. The way that I write, but for me, that's the way I write. You know, we can't we we lack confidence because we don't know how we do what we do. Yeah, and um, and I think that's part of what Tyson is going through is, and we'll get to. I think you're going to ask about that, but that's one of the things that he does is he's trying so hard to find that muse, which is the whole reason they call it a muse with writers, right? Uh Because it's not really us doing it; it's something else talking to us and us sort of just like writing what we're seeing or what we're hearing. But that's also one of the things that makes it so difficult to be a writer. You can't, it's hard to talk to how you do things, you know, which is yeah. the, you know, the, quite whenever, you know, the question of how do you get your ideas is one thing, but the question of how do you write the prose you write is something completely different because I think it's just your voice that, and there's like the little, little dude in a cave in your head who comes who, you know who comes out in the you know in the robe and the white hair and it's you know, and, and you know sits cross-legged on the edge of the cliff overlooking your mind and just starts screaming into the void and i'm just there typing it out oh so.
1: god Philip, this is so good it's so cool cuz i know of times i've you know i'll be writing you know i like just going at it And then I'll come out and my husband or partner, spouse, you'd be, you know, pick whichever you want. will be watching sports and he'll say to me, you haven't had lunch yet. And I'll be like, what, you know? And it's almost like you're not quite registering your, like what is happening around you at that second. Right. You're, you're still, your brain is still thinking, okay, how am I going to get her, you know, from A to B or how am I going to get her over? Or is she going to go over the cliff? Is the car going to go over the cliff? Right. And you're just like
0: lunch, lunch. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah, Okay. You know, and it, it almost like takes you a minute to kind of get grounded again.
0: Yeah. To right? come back to the surface in a way. Yeah, yeah. Because, well, that's the thing I think any good writer, you have to, you have to be able to totally immerse yourself in what you're writing about because you have to, you're visualizing what you're seeing, what they're seeing. You're thinking what they're not just thinking what one person's thinking. You're thinking what multiple people are thinking. Yeah. You're you're visualizing what's going on. You're smelling what's you know, what what they're smelling. You're hearing what they're hearing. And you have to kind of describe all that stuff. And um, while telling a story, And I think the only way to effectively do that is to completely is to be there, is to put yeah. yourself there. And yeah, I've had this you know, and sometimes writing doesn't work that way. Sometimes you have to struggle and get from word to word. And I've, I've had both experiences. I've had experiences where I have sat down at my keyboard and blinked and three hours have gone by and I've got 10,000 words on a page yeah. or on, and, and, and a file. And then, or I have sat down and just like literally each word is like lifting a 20 pound weight. And <laughs> you're just like, I'm just going to power through yeah. this and get my 500 and then I'm going to go, you know, have a scotch but um <laughs> yeah. But yeah, i've had the same thing where my you know i've had you know my wife walk in she, I remember one time i was writing this novella and i was so into it and she walked in and she said something and i jumped <laughs> and i was like she's and she you know and she scared me she does it a lot but and but she was like and i was like she's like how can you sit in here yeah. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, yeah. it's like a hundred degrees in here. She had just gotten home and I didn't turn the AC on. Yeah. And our house, was, you know, we live in Los Angeles. And it was like, it was so hot. And I was sitting there sweating. Oh, wow. And I was like, my shirt was drenched. Oh. And I just wasn't there. Yeah. You know I wasn't present in that. And, you know, and I wasn't feeling that or the discomfort of it. And it was one of those, it was one one, uh, one extreme moment. It doesn't happen a lot, but that was one extreme moment that I always remember, where I was so lost, yeah, in what I was doing, yeah, that I I didn't even notice that I was literally just dripping sweat onto my desk, and then my shirt had been soaked through. Then it was like it was literally 100 degrees wow. in this office, but yeah. but yeah, so it's it's a it's a it's a it's a funny thing writing. It's yeah. um, you know, you just you just hope that that whatever that is,
1: yeah,
0: you know, yeah. doesn't go away.
1: Yeah, and we're, and we're gonna we'll get onto that. I just thinking about writing. Okay. When I used to work full-time, I don't anymore. Um, a coworker of mine, see, sometimes with, I find with writing, it's almost like having an ear. When people say things, you just, you almost like whip around and look and think, I can't let that go. Right. And yeah, my coworker, she was talking, I don't know how we got on the subject. But she said she and this I asked her and I used this in, in Dealer's Child and she had said that she remembers a time when she was a kid and her cousin was over and they went outside to play. And her her cousin picked up this harmonica that was on mm. there, that had been left on the ground and she went to blow on it. And these earwigs came out. Right. Because it had wow. been, yeah. I was, and I, I remember when she said that, I just looked at her and I thought, OK, how do I ask her if I can use this story, what she said, without sounding like kind of a creepy person? <laughs> you know? Right. So, yeah. you know, so I did. I asked her, I said, can I please use this? You know, yeah. I said that. That's and I did. I told. her, I said, "This is Stephen King here." You know, like yeah, could, that's a right? great visual. Yeah. yeah,
0: great visual. And so then she yeah. told me, "Who knows you for asking?" I don't. I think a lot of writers would have just been just like writing it down in their notebook. <laughs> but, so yeah. do you,
1: do you find that that there's things that'll happen in your real life that you're just like, okay, I, I can't let that go. I just,
0: you know, I I know that it's something that a lot of writers do. I. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I, I think if I do it, it's probably more subconscious than conscious. But I know I know that it's a great tool for a lot of writers. I think for me, it's um, I think I tend to regurgitate those things kind of like subconsciously. I don't find myself paying a lot. I'm sort of an I'm sort of a airhead. I don't necessarily find myself. I you know when I'm I'm very distracted a lot. So I when I when I, I don't necessarily pick up a lot of things like that when I'm out and about. And I'm also not a big out-and-about guy, but um, I'm a bit of an agoraphobic. But I think, but I, th- but I think it's a great, I think it's a great, um, it's a great lesson because one thing I, one thing I have learned is that you have to continue to experience life yeah. in order to ha- be able to write about life. And I think you have to, you have to kind of force yourself to get out there, to travel, to meet people, to see people, to experience different things. And I think that will feed your story brain right because you're, you're just adding all this content to your to your to the writer's room in your mind and I think that's exactly what that is like here now if I heard that story I would have been texting myself trust me um <laughs> and sometimes I, that, but I think there are times when it's not necessarily something I'll overhear or see but sometimes yeah. it's more of I will uh, something I see will spark something else in my brain it'll yeah. connect to some so for example I wrote this story called Alter which is a very scary story. Uh, it's in my first collection and it takes place at a swimming pool and mm. a community swimming pool. And that story for me, I was literally one day, I was sitting next to a swimming pool yeah. and I thought, Hey, what if this happened? And it was yeah. a very dark, very dark, very evil thought, but, but it was, but it was like, it was kind of like a, Whoa, that would be crazy. That yeah. would you know be horrible. Yeah. Um, and that kind of became that story. So, which I actually later was just recently I someone sent me a video and I won't spoil or the story for you. Anyone who wants to read it, but where this actually happened in real life. And I was like, unbelievable. Cause, but anyway, so um, yeah, so I do think that life sparks moments of uh, imagination. Um, and sometimes it's like, you know, you'll see one thing and you'll, I can for me it's like, okay, but what if this yeah. happened or what if I'm watching something and what if instead of that person giving them, you know this. What if they gave them some this, and then what mm. would? So I think that is kind of how my brain tends to connect things. Um, but yeah, I definitely have. I'm a, I don't walk around with a notebook because I would lose it. But mm. I do. well, I do, um, I do text myself a lot, yeah. and I email myself a yeah. lot if it's, if it's something that. really important. Yeah. Like do do not forget this. I would mm. email myself because I know I won't. It'll you know I won't lose it at I have emails. I have a folder in my Outlook that's titled me (laughs) and it's literally just it's literally just emails from that i wrote myself about random thoughts like this so that's
1: good that's good i I know i've grabbed napkins i've grabbed napkins and yeah sure yeah 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 okay okay so we we've touched upon this my sister susan jane wright she's also a thriller author and she's just started drafting She's doing the first draft of her third novel, you know, and I'm thinking I had asked her, how was it going? And it's like after months and months and months of, let's say, rewriting and polishing, and you get that final product. Sometimes I find it's a little scary going back and starting with that first draft. Okay. And, um, you know, I'm thinking of poor Tyson and uh, you know, he's reading his first successful book. Right. And he's hoping to, you know, and he's hoping he picks up the beats. He picks up the language. Have you ever found that with yourself? Like when you go back and you're starting from scratch again, it's like that. It's a little bit of like, okay,
0: I can do this. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, so for Tyson, right. So, so for people listening, he, you know, this is, so he's trying to recapture the, the success of his, early career and so he's literally going back and rereading his own books from 20 years ago trying to figure out what was i doing different how can i read you know how did i do this which is part, which ties into what i was just talking about it's not it doesn't work that way but but that he was so desperate in the story that he was going back and rereading his own books for me editing is a editing is the hardest part of writing for for me because Mm -hmm. and i'll tell you in i tell you why, because, because, and this is to your point, I hate reading my own work because I can't read wow. it objectively. And wow. I always see things that need to be fixed. And I always see things I could have done better. And, and this is why you'll hear a lot of actors say they never watch their own movies yeah. because they're just like, ah, nah. <laughs> I don't need to see that. I, I did it. I'm you know moving on. And, um, because all I'll do is sit there and analyze myself, yeah. you know. And it's kind of like that with with me for my writing. I because when you read when you edit a book or a story, you're you know you're writing the you write the original story, and then you're probably doing one, two, three, four, five rewrites where you are literally going all the way back to the first word and going page by page and editing and editing and editing. And then once you're done. You send that book to whoever, let's say the book sells, God willing. Then there's another series of edits because now you're getting edits from the proofreader. You're getting edits from the editor. You get, they want you to rewrite this. They want you to change this character. So you're so you, by the time the novel is actually published, you as a writer, you've probably read that novel a dozen times. Yeah. And the last thing you want to do is ever read that novel again because you you've just you got to move on and it's wow. just been and there comes a point in the editing process where you just have to move on where you're just yeah. like look this is as good as it's gonna get I could because any writer will tell you I could do this for the rest of my life I could I could pick and change and edit this novel until until I'm in the ground and it it's just the reality is at some point you got to let it go yeah. and um, and so it, it's it's very terrifying. Very brutal process of of writing, and I think a lot of readers don't realize uh, that when they're reading the book, they're reading has been you know consumed you know probably a a year of a writer's life you know on and off, and um, and you know it's it it can be a little frustrating because I I had not to bash reviewers, I love reviews, good or bad, Mm -hmm. but I had one reviewer read gothic and they were like they and they said i got read the first two pages of the prologue and i really hate prologues and so i just stopped reading and then they gave the book a one-star review and i'm like i spent a year writing this book and i don't care if you don't like it i don't care if you read it and hate it i don't care if you dnf did not finish it but to read two pages and to put a place and then they once write a one-star review take the time to go online and write a one-star review after reading two pages of a four-hundred-page book. Yeah, uh, is you know it's brutal, and I think that's but that's part of being a writer. You have to have a, you have to have elephant skin, right? But yeah. rhino skin, really more yeah. to your point. But um, yeah. But editing is a very hard process, and so for Tyson, but for, for Tyson in his situation, what he's trying to do is he's trying to relive the glory days. Yeah. You know, he's trying to find out what happened to that muse and find out if he can somehow force himself to write the way he wrote when he was in his thirties. Okay. So then
1: you do like, like, it sounds like that adventure for the first draft.
0: You, you like you, you're in, you're, you're going for it. Yeah. There's a lot of, yeah. So I'm the kind of a guy and there's different styles of writing. Uh, I'm what's called, I write what's called a vomit draft. um, Or I think, I think, uh, um, I think it's also been called like a drop draft. I'm not, I've talked to different writers. uh, Anne Lamott, I think called it a drop draft. Okay. Which is a more polite way of saying "Obama draft," but you know, <laughs> where basically, you're just like, I'm just getting it out. I'm not. No. I don't care about how it sounds. I don't care if the plot point makes sense. I don't care if I'm forgetting things. Like I'm just writing this story. That's and, what I do. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. And th- and th- and that's how some. That's how I do it as well. And then I go back and I rewrite and I rewrite and I rewrite. <laughs> Whereas I think a lot of a lot of writers have do it very differently. Uh, Joe Lansdale. Is a, Is one example, Paul Tremblay is another example, where they'll write like 500 to 1,000 words a day. They will go back, they will stop writing, they will go back to the beginning, they will rewrite and rewrite those 500 to 1,000 words until they're happy with it. And then their day is done. And then when they go to the next day, they start where they left off and they go from there and they do, they repeat that. So they are basically editing while they're going. No, I could never do that either. Yeah. I would go insane. So yeah. I so, yeah, so it's just different styles. whatever works for for writers, every writer has sort of a different method, but yeah. but those those are the two I've heard of the most.
1: okay. see, and me uh, the other thing I it's it rang so true what you said when the book is out, I will read it once, but then I move on. I can't, I can't keep reading it because I think if I kept reading it, I would be so. I don't, I don't want to say criticizing it, but thinking, geez, maybe I should have done this this way, or maybe I could have done this better. Like, right? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. okay. Yeah, I, I would never read one of my books that has been published because there's nothing I can do to fix anything, yeah. and I would go mad yeah. if I saw like a comment that shouldn't be there, or God forbid. A repeated word in yeah. the same paragraph like I that stuff drives me crazy so yeah. so yeah once it's once it's published there's nothing else I can do to it it's out in the world it, you know my, my the way I think about it is it is it, what was mine has now become everybody else's and mm-hmm. and and it's really now the readers it's for the readers to have and enjoy and do what they want to do with it so that's really the way I think about it is I've done my part now you can now here it is for you to to do what you want to do. Yeah, that's
1: good advice. That's really good advice. Okay, I wanna I just I have to read this one more section and I do want to ask one more question about your podcast. I just I know I've kept you if you can hang in there with me for oh, just, yeah no okay. Fun. Okay, so this scene, it's the night of Tyson's birthday and Tyson and his friend Billy, who's also a writer, They're out having drinks. Okay, so Philip, he writes here in this scene. This is their dialogue. You have revered anonymity, and I can't speak today, and I've had coffee, anonymity. (laughs) I'm sorry, Philip, okay? This is a person.
0: It's a a tough word, anonymity.
1: Yes, thank you. As a child, ambulance was the one in spaghetti as a kid, okay?
0: (laughs) So with your
1: work. You've earned trust and praise to the point where you're untouchable. You write what you want. I'm hell. I've become this vending machine that publishers think they can just, you know, push a damned button and a best-selling book pops out. Oh, and God forbid it's not the exact same book I've already written 10 times over. Bam! That is good. Dialogue. That's great dialogue. I love that dialogue. It says so much. Thank you. So much. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it's definitely a window into his frustrations and, and he's right. And it's, it's, you know, and that's what he's, that's what he's fighting is, you know, he's like, I'm not, you know, I, I think what he's, you know, as part of it is like, you know, it's like, it's like, am I doing this for me or am I doing it? for you? Am I doing, you know, as as it's, you know, he's, he's thinking it, And I think writers, you're kind of walking that line, yeah. you know, and Stephen King talks a lot about this in his book on writing. Wonderful, wonderful book. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's like, you have, to, you know, I think sometimes he says, sometimes you write with the door open and sometimes you write with the door closed. And I think sometimes you're writing for, as a writer, you write for yourself. And I think that you, and I but, but I think that there are times maybe it's a per project basis or whatever where you're like, but I also have to, you do have to consider the readers yeah. and you have to consider what they want mm-hmm. and you have to consider what can you, you know, you, you can't go too far. There's is certain, you know, there's parameters or, or whatever, or maybe there's a way you do something that's a little bit different than maybe you would normally that you would necessarily do if it was just something that you were doing for yourself. But I, so I think you walk that line. I think you always have to have the readers in the back of your head. You don't mm-hmm. want them at the front of your head, but I think you had to have them in the back of your head a little bit because, um, because, you know, you are, write, you are writing it for publication and and you want people to read it and you want publishers to buy it. But I don't, you know, I think, so I think, you know, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of writers listening to this saying like, oh, no, no, you're, you know, you're not an, being a true artist. I'm like, y- no, I'm not. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a published writer. I'm yeah. a commercial writer. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was a true artist, I would be, you know, painting my bedroom walls and, you know, um, and you know, writing prose on toilet paper than eating it, but I'm just, <laughs> but the, but the, but I'm not. I'm writing books for people yeah. to read. So I yeah. think you have to have that kind of middle ground. I think the 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 great challenge for any writer is to write something that excites you yeah. and that you can invest yourself in, and that you that you want to write and that you in, in believe in, that you also think would be a good um, experience for for you know not every reader because not every reader is going to like your book, yeah. but but some readers, a, a percentage of readers, you'll find a group or a readership that enjoys it. And there'll be yeah. others who don't enjoy it. And that's why stars were invented. Um, but, um, and, uh, but, you know, but you hope that you hope that you, you know, you find a niche at least of a readers who appreciate what you're doing. And I've written, you know, I've written, you know, I've written a book of poetry. Yeah. I've written a children's book that's coming out um, mm-hmm. next month. I, it's for five-year-olds. You know, I, I've i written, um, I wrote a, literary novel called don't let them get you down that's that's you know currently up for pre-order from a from a small publisher so you know i've written so and then i and i write horror is sort of more like more commercial stuff and i also write thrillers i have a science fiction novel that's being shopped right now so i don't i write what i want to write yeah but i think depending on i think you can kind of control the um your um you know your uh what you think that book can be. So, you know, for this, you know, for, for the, you know, there's very small presses who are dealing with maybe some of the, the poetry book and the children's book, for example, but, you know, and whereas um, Tor, Nightfire and Orbit, who are two of the the two biggest genre Mm -hmm. publishers in the world are both publishing my next two novels. And so, Mm -hmm. so, so I think you, I like, but I like writing for me, but I also like writing for others. And I, I always want people to enjoy, yeah. my work I want to bring joy to people I want to bring yeah. entertainment to people I want to be a pleasant distraction in a very in what might be a very difficult day or week or life yeah. and that's kind of part of why I do it but I also love doing it so it's it we're, hopefully it's a win for everybody
1: yeah that's a great answer good answer yeah so before we leave tell us about your podcast
0: Oh right, yeah. So yeah. I have a podcast called The Dark Word, and if you are listening to Joanna's podcast right yeah. now, uh, you should definitely check it out. If you're and if you're a writer or a reader, you should definitely check it out. So it's a it's a thirty minute podcast, aud- audio podcast where I interview writers, um, typically horror and thriller writers, genre writers, um, and we just talk about writing. We talk yeah. about the craft of writing. We talk about publishing. We talk about the business side of publishing. Uh, we talk about s- how to be a professional writer when it comes to social media, when it comes to dealing with agents and editors, um, and all that. So it's really every every show has a little bit of a different um focus, depending mm-hmm. on who I'm talking to. But um but like in the first season I had people like Joe Lansdale, um mm-hmm. S. A. Cosby, Paul Tremblay, uh, Ronald Malfi, like New York Times bestseller, yeah. best selling writers. And then um in this, in this current uh, uh, season, which comes out at the end of – so that whole – all of season one is currently available on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, you name it, RSS. Um, and then um, season two, which is coming out at the end of September, I've already interviewed great writers like Josh Mallerman oh, and wow. Chuck Wendig. Um, I'm going to be uh, uh, interviewing Ramsey Campbell, who's one of the biggest writers in the UK. Yeah. So so, yeah, and we just talked about the craft. We just we, we talked about the craft. But we also talked about the business um, side of things. Al Makatsu was on the first season, who's okay. a big, wonderful writer. And um, so it, I think if you're a writer or you want to know more about publishing or more, know more about writing, it's it's it, this is the podcast for you. And it's it's been really popular, and I've really enjoyed doing it. And I've learned a lot yeah. doing talking to all these great writers, and l- I've learned so much as well. So yeah, okay, the
1: dark word. I will find yeah. it. Yeah, Philip this has been amazing. Thank you. Thank you for being, I'm I'm glad you're my hundredth episode because this has been a a great, great episode. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, I will let you go. All right. Thank you, Joanna. Okay. Bye.
0: Bye.